Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Minneapolis. With me is Greg Velasquez in Des Moines. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. Thank you for downloading this episode of Scuffed. People have been asking us to update our top 40. That is the top 40 players in the men's national team pool. They've been asking us for quite a while. They've been beseeching us. And I am happy to report that the day has arrived. Greg, how you feeling? I'm all right, Bill. So so that's what everyone was spending with when we were going eight months without a national team game. Everyone just desperately wanted to know how the pool has updated through zero games. <laughs> right. Because I think our last one we did after the after the January friendly. So there have been zero national team games. This is all going to be on club updates and uh, and though to be fair, with there have been some club updates that might sort of make the picture seem a little more clear. Definitely, there definitely have. I mean, I think Weston McKinney, uh, <laughs> West McKinney's club update does something. So we, we we did one in September of last year, like a year ago, and then another one in December, and then one in February, and then we took like a long COVID break, of course, and so now we're doing September 2020. So it's not exactly quarterly, but. It's pretty close. I should say one one more thing. I got to say, I increasingly approach this task with fear and trembling. It's difficult. It is <laughs> imperfect. Yeah, there's no there, our criteria can can change wildly, even internally, like just my own from one place to the next. Where <laughs> right. where finally, like eventually, my gut's just going to be like, now I'm I'm giving this guy the I'm giving this guy the benefit of the doubt for this one. Right. Somebody mentioned that we that we might use algorithms, and nothing could be further <laughs> from the truth. All right, number one. The number one player in the U.S. men's national team player pool is, of course, Greg. Christian Pulisic, new number one, I believe. I believe, uh, I think he had been holding on at number two since the inception of this. Maybe maybe took a a couple of cycles at number one when Adams was hurt for so long. But uh, I think at this point, Christian Pulisic is now a top two or three player, or he was last year at a uh, big club a super club i know uh we just saw in brian strauss's article the differences between big clubs and big clubs yeah uh, capital b capital c cool six doing it at the capital b capital c level that's true and you know the reason adams we had adams ahead of him the reason i had adams ahead of him for a few of these was just that we felt we needed adams's defensive presence in the middle of the national team so badly that it was more of an issue like it was more of a problem that needed to be solved than even like Pulisic scoring goals and getting assists yeah and I think there'll be kind of a running uh theme or thread here that I think for a lot of these guys we're going to be expecting them to be showing better even within Burhalter's system uh and in sort of anticipation of these tweaks that we think Burhalter is making uh and so you know Pulisic had plenty of uh games in 2019 for us where he wasn't great uh Mm -hmm. And, and I think, you know, in addition to how well he's playing at Chelsea, there's there's this sense that Berhalter's going to simplify some things at the national team level that will uh, put him in even better positions to succeed. Yeah. That's yeah. certainly the hope. Games where he didn't play well would be, like, against the friendly against Mexico where we lost 3-0. Um, the, the time we lost at Canada in Nations League, he was famously taken off a little early. But that feels like a lifetime ago now. He is. Uh, he has definitely, I think, in the eyes of the entire soccer watching globe, uh, risen in estimation significantly. So, number two, Tyler Adams. 
is this all on is this all on his quarterfinal uh match winning strike in the champions league <laughs> it's none of it on that I, I i don't think he i still don't think he offers um as much on the ball as a lot of the fan base does and i, I know you and i have had a sort of a running disagreement about that but as a defensive force he is you know he's truly invaluable i think both for rb leipzig and for the u.s men's national team uh blessed be the day when we get to see it you know can't wait no i, I i'm with you i I think his passing is uh, is not necessarily like a significant strength of his. I just think he's uh, not he does he's not going to hurt us with his passing. He he doesn't he's not a guy who must pass negative uh, to solve problems. So that's just I think that's it's a subtle difference. Um, I don't think he's he's a playmaker. We'll get to a, somebody who I think we both agree their playmaking skills may be underrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe in the very next slot in this list. Let's just talk about him now. Number three is Weston McKenney. He's Cristiano Ronaldo's teammate. Hopefully he benefits from playing for a team that is dominant rather than just above the relegation line. And I and we've done this last two weeks already, but we gotta mention again that it's sort of a pinch yourself moment to see him playing in a friendly for Juventus even in, in preseason. It's it's really something special. Yeah, it's it's wonderful that this doesn't no longer has to be a hypothetical where we spent years now, uh two maybe just two years talking about how feels like forever talking about how uh Schalke are so terrible that it's impossible to know whether McKenney's actually uh, not a good possession type player or if it's just the system we should find that out pretty quickly uh this year and like you said his his playmaking ability I think is underrated I think he um you know he can hit that line breaking pass he can hit the surprising pass to put someone in on goal he's done it I don't know about consistently but he has periodically done it for Schalke basically since he broke into the first team if you go back and really watch the clips not for Schalke for Schalke it's a lot of those sort of in transition moments is, is sort of my my read on him where he hits that surprising pass but he's shown for the U.S. he can do it even when he finds himself up in the box up in the you know in, in the attacking third against a, uh, a bus parking defense right uh, we saw that in the gold cup I think and I think that kind of gets forgotten uh, because we tend to linger on a lot of the things that weren't working in the Gold Cup. Uh, and and again, I think McKenney was one of our best passers in that tournament, uh, and I'm hopeful that he gets more chances to show that with Juventus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he um, he's an ambitious passer. He's looking to make passes that break the other team open, whether that's in transition or you know against a block. Who's number four, Greg? Number four, Serginho Dest. Uh, nice, nice, timely highlight from him uh, from the weekend where he did not start. He does appear to be second choice at right back. Uh, luckily for us, he's also second choice at left back. It would appear uh, right. as Hayek's starting left back Tagliafico. Yeah, I have that. That's right. Uh, sent off early for I think a tactical dog so tackle, and then uh, Des comes on at left back and down a man. Still has no problem just skinning people on the sideline. He was playing like a sideline hunk, sideline hugging left back in that particular highlight. Um, yeah. And, and again, it just makes, it makes the wheels start turning for what he could do for the U S and how versatile he is. And quite frankly, just how saucy he is. Yeah. He's a sauce merchant and he, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he, the fact that he can play, I mean, he's, he's our best left back and our best right back. He's our best right back and our best left back for the national team. Um, I think that's pretty clear. So that 
yeah, when you say the wheels start turning, you could imagine Cannon or Yedlin getting to start at right back with Dest at left back. You know, if Anthony Robinson isn't fit or if, if it's he's deemed not up to the level to start at left back for the national team. So Dest is super, super important. And we got a tip of the cap to Greg Berhalter for uh, helping shepherd him over the line, getting him cap tied. Berhalter, Ramos, the the youth setup. Uh, we, it's just again, this is another one of those uh, pinch yourselves because we're we're just getting getting to watch uh, some really high level American players every weekend. And I guess I don't know what what's the latest rumors on his potential move to. Uh, I'm not not doing it. Not getting into it, Bells. You're not okay. going to get me to get into it. Yeah, stay clean, stay clean, Greg. Number five <laughs> is Giovanni Reyna about to take the field right now as we as we speak uh starting for Borussia Dortmund in a uh Pokal match yep with uh, Marco Royce and Julian Brandt on the bench now that could very well be that Dortmund is just saving them for the weekend or that Royce isn't fully fit yet but um even so he's 17 years old if you're good good enough to start for BVB you're good enough to start for the United States of America yeah, and I'm I'm gonna say we're well past the uh, like sample size needed to to say that he is a like key player for Dortmund. He's definitely like not just some placeholder. Uh, whether he continues to start, I mean that seems unlikely. But uh, whatever his role is, he's going to have one. And and that's again that's all it takes. <laughs> if you're doing that, you are somewhere in the national team's starting eleven. And I think you know a lot of people think I, th- I think Reyna himself thinks of himself as a, a middle of the field attacking midfielder, and definitely that looks like that's what he's going to be doing for Dortmund today. I think based on the based on the lineup, but he can play he can play on the right wing, he can play on the left wing if need be, especially in Berhalter's system where we think the wingers are going to be tucking in. He fits that role really really well, so he's pretty versatile, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I try to not get caught up in, is he a center mid for us? Is he this? Is he that? It's, it's going to be where is he collecting the ball? Where is he taking up his uh, starting position mm-hmm. when we're in possession? And then how do we use him in defense to either hide or emphasize what he's good at defending? Also, shout out to Grant Wall for the interview he did with Reyna a couple weeks ago. Uh, glad that, you know, it's good to get that, good to hear from the kid. He's, man, his voice is really deep. I noticed that. Just as a side note. You always focus on the acoustics. You love acoustics. I do. I love acoustics. I love a deep voice. John, number six, John Brooks, 27-year-old center back for Wolfsburg. When healthy, he's our best center back. I think that's pretty clear. I don't know that anyone has ever, like, any U.S. men's national team coverage can, like, print the word John Brooks without following it with, when healthy, he's our best center back. Yeah. Right. That that essentially sums up everything that needs to be said. So I'm just going to skip it right ahead. Okay. Number seven. <laughs> Number seven. Uh, Tim Weah, who is uh, back like that. Ro- his injury roller coaster seems to be seems to be. I don't know. What, is it going up or is it going down now? How would you describe? That? I don't know. I don't. I guess I'm not sure on the dynamics of an injury roller coaster. <laughs> is it good to go up or is it good to go down? It's more my hopes roller coaster. Okay. That's following along Wea's injury news. He's he's uh, appeared for a second game in a row yes. for Lille. Uh, once again, I think coming in, I would describe it from what I saw. I mean, it was he got like a nine minute cameo, touched the ball like four times. 
Uh, I want to say he it looked like he was playing as a second striker. And I don't mean like a shadow striker. I mean, it looked like there were two guys up top sort of uh, playing side by side. But it was hard to tell uh, in that short time window. Yeah, he looked I, – I didn't see the clips from his performance over the weekend. But a week ago, I thought he looked very bright and um, explosive, which is what you want to see. And all we really care about is that he, he is playing because – not only was it no guarantee that he would, you know, not hurt himself again, and, and we're still like crossing our fingers every time and just wanting him to get 10 minute cameos for the next three months for his own preservation. Uh, there's no guarantee that he would even get that when a guy's coming back from that long. Like you could be, you know, Joe Zhao, knock on wood, uh, who was playing for Dortmund a few times, gets hurt with the national team, uh, and then essentially goes years and never really regains his level. Right. Not that he's not doing great for Cincinnati is he is he starting for Cincinnati I don't know I don't know what's but up with Joseph Jiao FC Cincinnati are not Borussia Dortmund yeah at at, at the time of recording <laughs> and Lille uh you know they're churning through players they're signing players they're selling players so uh, just to add to your point about how he it wasn't guaranteed that he would come back and and get his spot again he um you know that that matters they, they just signed Jonathan David Jonathan David the Canadian striker is the one that Wea seems to be coming on for at the moment. I would not count my chickens before they hatch if I were you, Jonathan David. <laughs> I want I want Jonathan David again to continue starting for the next three months and for Lille to grad or for Wea to gradually uh, gain one to two minutes per appearance. So you're looking for like ten minutes a game until Thanksgiving <laughs> through, through Christmas. Yeah. I want him to yeah I want him to get called into the national team camp in November as an observer. Okay, sounds good. Uh, I mean, that's that's a big deal that way is back. Don't not gonna try to minimize that at all. Number eight, Greg. Why don't you tell us who it is? Sebastian Legette, who I feel like we're gonna get to uh, another controversial lightning rod player in a little bit. Uh, but I feel like Sebastian Legette is is like the most underrated uh, U.S. men's national team player. Not again that he's a transcendent player, no. just that he continues to be very very good for the national team and uh a, like a good complimentary piece he seems not to have much of an ego like just wants to make the players around him better in any way he can yeah i could not agree more with that he's a spark plug you know the old sports cliche he comes on for the u.s he all all year in 2019 and immediately we were better and um yeah i agree with the thing about him being a, a good a good teammate basically he's out there you know he's out there on Instagram commenting on younger players' posts, and I don't know he just seems like a good father figure at the ripe old age of twenty eight. Yes, is he twenty eight? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. And also a jack of all trades. You know he can play in the middle. He can he can run down the ball in the channel and get a good cross across. He's remarkably good at getting a cross off. You know, just get that little bit of window and then he plays it across. So I'm with do that different for the surfaces, galaxy. different like different surfaces surfaces of his feet, uh, so it can kind of take you by surprise, which for me is key with crosses because again I don't particularly love the typical like knock the ball six yards ahead of you and then run up to it and cross it uh, type of play, but he hits like deceptive crosses. Yep. Anyway, Sebastian Legit. People yeah. might think he's a little too high, but I think he's I think he is again criminally underrated. Yeah, and this will we'll get to the the you know the flashpoint of this whole discussion who is Jordan Morris here shortly. But I think 
when people say, well, Jordan Morris is our second best winger, has to pl- has to start for the U.S. men's national team, as some have said on Twitter.com. Um, then you then you say, well, who are you who are you taking off? Are you taking off Sebastian Legette in the middle? Are you taking off Jackson Ewell? Maybe that's fine. Uh, are you taking off Tim Weah? Are you taking off Gio Reyna? You know, there's right. a scenario where you know there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts there, and it's not just simply. Well, we'll talk about Morris in a second. We can get to that. Number nine is Josie Altador, 30-year-old forward for Toronto FC. I will say, you know, I still think he's our best striker. That's why he's up here in the top 10. But the word placeholder is starting to come to mind for me. Very good player. Again, probably our best striker. But it feels like father time and father new competition are both closing in on him a little bit. You know, with with players like uh, Sargent playing well over the weekend, at, you know, admittedly against pretty pretty weak competition. Uh, Nico Go- Joachini coming along. Uh, there's other there. Giassi's artist is pretty solid, I guess. You know, there's other there's other options. Yeah, the injury one's the big one for me, uh, and and just his general availability. Like it seems like it's uh, he's playing fewer and fewer minutes, and so you know with the national team. You need to just sort of, especially if you're trying to implement a, you know, a pretty uh, sophisticated system, uh, which I'm sure Berhalter's will be, even if it's a change from 2019. Uh, you got to be able to rely on the guy to be there, especially for the forward. That's kind of right. uh, a key piece of it. I, I feel like maybe at center back you could you could sort of install guys uh, whenever they're available, but for the striker, I just don't know that you can do that, and so. Uh, that's going to be that's going to be the big thing is his availability. And if he's if he's not available, then then yeah, then hopefully the new guys close the gap enough that you take their reliability over over whatever advantages Altidore might provide. Yeah, I shouldn't try I shouldn't try to say like Jazzy's artist is going to knock Altidore out on his on the merits of his play on the field. That's that's a silly thing to say. But you know, I mean, I think there's a chance players like DK Daryl DK in Orlando or Joachini or Sargent, they're coming along. You know, they're all right around 20 years old, and they're coming along. Number 10. Here we go. Jordan Morris, 25-year-old winger slash forward for the Seattle Sounders. He's been very good for his club and for the U.S. over the past 18 months. So, and I, you know, I got into a big dust-up on Twitter yesterday about this. But I think, like, my issue with Morris isn't, that I don't think he should be in called up. He definitely should. I'm happy with him at number 10 on this list. But he's not, I think we've talked about this before, he's not a great fit for what Burhalter wants his wingers to do. We, Burhalter, we saw this in, in January and February. The wingers were not like heels on the chalk, receiving the ball, running at somebody and crossing it or cutting in and scoring. They were, they're in the channel receiving the ball and becoming like the fulcrum of the attack. And that... It's not a job for Jordan Morris, right? And so, where I'll I'll dissent a little bit from you uh, here is first off, I really appreciated you throwing that Molotov cocktail into the into the Jordan Morris discussion yesterday. Uh, I'll I'll dissent a little bit in that uh, Jordan Morris wasn't available for the January camp, I believe, uh, because no Seattle players were made available. Um, so what I'm what I'm wondering is, would it have looked like that if Morris had been there? So is Burhalter? Ness- necessarily set on the system 
Or is he saying, well, I've got Paul Ariola here, so this is going to work better with him to let Cannon go past. Whereas if I have uh, Jordan Morris and Serginio Dest on that right side, then I'm going to keep Morris wide and I'm going to let Dest go up and get sort of central. And, and there are just a lot of, it, it kind of goes back to that wheel start turning with all the different possibilities. Uh, because Morris might be good enough for, he might bring enough in attack and be effective enough in attack that you don't want to take him off uh, to bring on a, an inverted winger. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that has to sort of be the line you take with Jordan Morris is that he is too, if you're going to argue for him, it's that he is too valuable to change his position or to keep him off the field. So that means that you have to change the positions of some other guys in your system to make it work for him. And yeah. that might mean he can he can pair up effectively with certain players uh, who are able to do these other things. Um, but I think that has to be the line. Like I, I've seen other people saying that he's just going to be good enough to do that. Or, well, then you move him to the nine and let him play as the nine. And neither of those, I think, are even close to convincing because Morris's huge explosion in productivity has been Seattle shifting him to the left wing. Yeah. And that's where a lot of his productivity has come for the U.S., either left wing or, you know, again, most of his productivity came in 90 minutes as the right wing against Cuba. Yeah, right. Most and, of his actual stat line. The fact that he is most effective on the left wing is also an argument against keeping him in the starting lineup because there's another guy who plays left wing for us. His name is Christian Pulisic. And yeah, and I, I appreciate like the, the banter here because this is sports and what what else is it as you know people in, in on US men's national team Twitter or online uh, besides arguing about this kind of stuff, the tone of it just got out of control. And especially because it's it's again it's kind of gonna be a moot point in the sense that everyone that people want to, to look at uh, at wing for the US men's national team are going to get their look at wing for the US men's national team. The next qualifying match is a year away at this point, given the delays. So you're going to see Jordan Morris play on the wing. You're going to see Gio Reyna probably get looks in that space. You're going to see uh, Tim Weah, I'd imagine, get his shot there. And it's going to play itself out on the field. Yeah. It's not a situation where there's a guy you really want to see who just never gets a look. Yeah. If, if Conrad gets some looks for Barcelona, he's going to get a shot uh, on the wing for the U.S. Right. Yeah, and I guess the... The thing it's easy to forget about Morris, I think, for a lot of people who are really big fans of Jordan Morris and who are angry at those of us who don't appreciate him enough, is that he—I mean, like he scored—he scored that goal against San Jose the other day, where it was just—it was just horrible defending, you know. Like he just dribbled. I know it's the man marking system and all that, but like he—he—we've seen him against like good, like against Mexico, he was not good, you know, where he has where the. The space is tight and the time is short. It's not his game. Like, and and we that's why that's why I want Timothy Weah ahead of him in this list because I think Timothy Weah can do that stuff. He can receive the ball in tight space. He can combine. Can you imagine? So even if Morris Morris was playing on the wing on chalk and then Serginio Des was playing right back and and coming inside him. Phrasing, go on. And and like and moving inside him on the ch- <laughs> is like moving in the channel just to the inside of Morris. You know what I mean? Then you've got – can you imagine Morris and Dest playing like quick one-twos with each other? I guess. Right. I guess you can. I guess you can. It's not It's not Morris's strong suit though, which I guess is my point. Yeah. Am well, I beating a dead horse here? Uh, I mean to an extent. Like yeah, Morris is going to benefit a little bit stats-wise uh, for that San Jose game. I feel like it was San Jose's reserves. But, you know, he's not – He's 
he's not just sort of accumulating stats against just the the weak teams. I mean, he's he's now had a solid uh, year and a half uh, of putting up numbers. So, uh, like, he's how's his G plus though? How's his G plus? <laughs> his, his G plus is is pretty pretty. I mean, it's outrageous this year on a small sample size. It was it was okay last year. It wasn't anything special. Um, and he and, and I've said before he massively overperformed even his expected goals last year. Uh, so you'd probably, you know, expect a little bit of a regression there. Uh, we're, we're really getting into the weeds here with, with I, well, I really like, so I really like Morris, the idea of Morris coming on as a late sub to run at a tired defense in a game that is sort of like falling apart or where we like, where we just really need a goal. And maybe we're, maybe we're bunkered at the, at Azteca and it's zero, zero in the 60th minute, bring on Morris, let him, let him go at him. You know, he, he, he's the kind of player who in space, he can, he can make a goal happen. So my, not, my, I'll, I'll do one more, one more thing on it. My really optimistic, hopeful take would be that in the same way that like a, a lot of guys have been held back, I think by some of our 2019 tactics, my hope is that Morris was just as like hampered uh, and, and still like managed to come up with some really good moments and that in a improved system in, and you could take Canada part two as, as sort of the, the blueprint in a, in a more wide open system or more, uh, more free flowing, especially in transition moment system, Morris will even benefit. So that might, this might be like what we get out of Morris is, is a, or he might even have more left to give us. And, and again, I don't have, I don't get invested in, in the player, like, uh, like the guy who you kind of got into it clearly like invested in Jordan Morris. Like I want Morris to do really well, even though I don't think he's necessarily tailor made for what we're going to be doing. I really hope he is unstoppable. Yeah. Same. I I mean I'm and I'm grateful for Morris's service thus far. I expect him to continue to be a very useful player for the national team. He's number ten on our list, yo. <laughs> number ten in the top forty. What greater honor is that? Is All there right. than that? Number eleven. Right. Number, number 11. eleven. Josh Sargent. 20 year old forward i'm i'm gonna say he was uh he he played well in the dfb pokal win for Werder bremen over the weekend they beat uh carl zeiss yena one to zero i actually know somebody from that town in a small town in eastern east germany just saw her yesterday um anyway uh he played he played well he missed a, he missed a big chance. He wasted a big chance in front of goal. Tried to square it to uh, Davy Selka. Probably should have shot or at least made a better pass. But then sixty seconds later, go ahead. I'm I'm kind of surprised that players still do that, and and maybe it's just like split second stuff. Uh, but I feel like the way analytics are are taking off now, uh, Sergeant has to know that if he shoots there, whether he scores or not, it's he's going to look better in the, in the in the assessment the next day. Yeah. Like, like he he needs to rack up that XG right there. I actually don't hate the impulse to try to square it for a tap in, but I, I'm I think I'm probably in the minority on that. <laughs> um. Anyway, he came back 60 seconds later and scored a goal, and it was the kind of goal that you love to see, as they say, as the kids are saying, uh, because his movement was good. He 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 comes in comes towards the box. He he peels off his guy, and then he takes up a position behind a center back who has to choose between him and another guy. The center back doesn't choose and he essentially has a free header at the back post and he does well, does well to guide it past the goalkeeper. That's the game winner. I thought if you look at his all touches put together by, I think Mr. Cranks, 
uh, it was he did a lot of good stuff in that game. And he so, needs to. That's a fourth division side, and he needs to he needs to look the part there. Yeah, and he did, and um, I, I I still have a lot of hope that he can turn the corner and be a legitimate Bundesliga striker. Before we go to number twelve, Bells, do you think uh, Bremen looked looked good? Did did you feel like they're they've turned a corner in their attacking and their fluidity and all right, they've solved what what ailed them? No. Did you? <laughs> no. No, I'm I'm like again, not putting Josh Sargent and Bremen at the top of my list to watch for European games on the weekends. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I you know to the extent that I get to watch games live, I'll still try to watch them. But number twelve, number twelve, Reggie Cannon, twenty-two year old right back for Boa Vista in Portugal. Thoughts, Greg? Uh, this is just going to be another fun little experiment. And I think, uh, you see that Bovista are splurging a little bit of cash. I think they just made another big signing from MLS. Albert Elise from Houston. So, uh, in my mind, two things, one, uh, that's going to be fun to watch. Uh, two, like the big picture kind of message might be that these little selling clubs are, might be figuring out that there's a, uh, an untapped like somewhat untapped market here for MLS or market inefficiency yep. where they pick these guys up cheap and then move them on because they're good enough to move on. Even if it's for uh mid tier prices later and turn a tidy profit on them. Yeah. I mean, despite all our problems and there are many, <laughs> we are the largest economy in the world. And I think that does, that does play a part, you know, with Juventus signing, Wes McKinney, there's this idea that there's a market opportunity there. It's not as simple as like selling shirts. It's like a little bit more than that. Bells, I am totally talking about competitive market inefficiency and, and them just knowing that there are players. I know, I know, I know you are. All right, I, I didn't know if you, I didn't know you. You thought I was going the uh, selling TV share. Look, if you could buy a two million dollar player from the Czech Republic or a two million dollar player from the U.S. who have like exactly the same in your mind, potential for sell a, a bigger sell-on fee. Okay, I get you. I get you. You're going you're you're to buy the American player. Come on. Because they know there's going to be podcasts talking about the American $2 million player. Yeah, because they know that in minute 37 of the Scuff podcast, it'll be brought up. Um, number, should we go to number 13? Let's do it. I mean, Cannon did score a goal in a friendly over the weekend, I believe. Uh, and number 13, Anthony Robinson, 23-year-old left back. At Fulham, not in the 18 over the weekend. I don't know if that even matters at this point. No, you, you got to give things a month or so to shake out with any of these moves. Okay. Yeah. If he's not in the 18 a month from now, then, then we got problems. The issue, I mean, the reason Robinson's so high here is because he's the only true left back kind of in this top tier right now. It, after Robinson, you're looking at players like Chase Gasper or Sam Vines. Or Tim Ream, who's not even a left back, right. or Serginio Dest, who is, you know, more a right back than a left back. So yeah, so Anthony Robinson is going to be the key to whether or not Dest can stay a right back, or whether we have to move him to left back. One of the keys. Yeah, there are some other uh, irons in that fire, but as you said, none of those other irons look like they're going to move to the Premier League eminently. No, and then there's like you know there's some irons like very in the distant future fire, but. This is a near-term discussion. 
Number 14 is Dwayne Octavius Holmes. That's my guy. 25 years old. Kind of a left wing slash right wing slash attacking mid slash number eight. Can play kind of all over the field. Yep, versatile and another one of those spark plug types. Yep. Injured a lot lately, but whatevs. Yeah, misses miss, uh, the championship opener. He's one of our only guys left in the championship, strangely, uh, at the moment. So uh, hopefully, yeah, hopefully he's back on his feet and it was just uh, the the final stages of his recovery and he'll be back. When he's back, he plays for Darby. Pretty much an uh, uh, unquestioned player. So Dwayne Holmes, number 15, I feel like, is of the same mold. Uh, mm-hmm. Just has a little bit more of a hype train at the moment. It's back from Pomacall. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe his hype train has been... Uh, derailed surgically. Yeah, it's, you know, absence does not make the heart grow fonder when it comes to hyping players. So if, you, if you're not playing, then it's hard for people to stay excited about you. And he's not playing. He's out for a long time, right, the rest of the season, maybe back in the spring. And, we, and it, it turns out we haven't really seen him play as a healthy player for a year. Since the, since the France game? <laughs> yeah. It maybe. feels like? Yeah. He was so good. He was so good in, at that in that game at what he's good at, which is disrupting what the other team does, being secure in possession, finding somebody's feet, occasionally playing an incisive pass. So I mean, he's I'm still high on him, but it's, you know we're, we'll see. But I, I would say he, he's in that same sort of group as the uh, legit Dwayne Holmes, and even a little bit like I guess you'd almost say like that's the Weston McKenney group. So you're trying to mm-hmm. be you're trying to be that Weston Weston McKenney level player. Pomacall's probably a better disruptor than McKenney, you know, a little a little tougher to dribble past. But yeah, that's the, that's a nice that's a nice categorization of Legette, uh Holmes and Pomacall kind of a similar type cuz they're none of them is like a tr- really a true 10 in the no, uh uh-uh. in Ganche mold, <laughs> but but they're all But they can they all seem to be able to make things happen. Yep. All right. Uh, 16, DeAndre Yedlin. Okay, 27-year-old right back. He's he's our legacy right back. Yeah. I mean, he kind of, there isn't that much to say about him. He uh, wasn't in Newcastle's uh, game day squad. Most likely means he's on the move. Hopefully means he's on the move because it actually seems very unlikely that he plays his way back into their starting 11. Uh, he's definitely trended from the 11 to the bench and now out of the squad entirely. So... Yes, we're definitely. I'm hoping that we see him in another team's uniform shortly. Yep. Okay, who's number seventeen? Seventeen, uh, Uli Giannis. And mm. some of this, some of this is probably coming off the uh, the anticipation of his all but confirmed move. It feels like at this point, to Heron Vane. Uh, Aaron Vane again. We we mentioned this uh, a little bit in our preview last last week do not really have a incumbent left winger. Um, they're, they sold off their best uh, attacking player, who was their left winger from last season, uh, have a, a kid in there who started this last game who had like no goals, no assists last year, had an assist in the first game. I'm just talking sort of about who Uli would be competing with. Right. Uh, I checked out his game. He's not super impressive. There's nothing he does that looks great. Um, a situation where it, the spot would be there for the taking. So it would definitely be on Giannis to do that. Uh, but as soon as he's he's playing games, I think, and racking up a little bit of data, uh, my hope is that that data is good enough that he's right right away in the picture as a depth option. I think I'd been saying, like, I'd, after that January camp, 
I would have been comfortable being like, yeah, Giannis could be could be our fifth fifth winger, uh, and and this will be a chance to sort of see if 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 that can confirm sort of my very quick analysis of him. We assessment were, of him. yeah. For anyone who's a new listener, we were pretty high on his performance against Costa Rica in that friendly. He obviously scored the goal on a penalty, but he also did a lot of other good things. Uh, he's a technical player, and he's strong, and he's quick, and he has a nose for goal, and he can, and he can hit a, a incisive pass as well. So good with both yeah, feet. That that excitement is basically just to get him, and, and he's probably he might be rated a little bit too high here, but. Uh, all that sort of excitement that came with that January camp is like, oh, this would be another good guy to play if some of our other top four attackers get hurt. Right. Top four wingers are hurt or unavailable. And sometimes they will be. Mm-hmm. Cool sick, not not in uniform today. Right. For Chelsea. Chelsea's number 10. All right, number 18. And here we're going to throw in a little bit of a scuffed wrinkle, uh, a little <laughs> bit of a plot twist. Uh Number there's a nine way tie at number eighteen. <laughs> nine way tie, and they all happen to be wild coincidence here. They all happen to be non John non John Brooks center backs. Yeah, because so, it, go ahead, go ahead, Greg. No, just no. You you take this. Well, because it, 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 at a certain point it feels silly to try to say like Matt Miazga is better than Miles Robinson or Aaron Long or. You know, I mean, they're all. We don't know. We don't know who the best right center back is. We don't even know who the who the second best left center back is. I think that's probably Tim Ream. But but um, I put this on Twitter the other the other day. Like, who should start next to John Brooks at right center back? And I got I got I don't know. I got like a hundred answers, and they were all different. <laughs> like, there's no consensus on this. Somebody's gonna be mad no matter who we put as the starting right back. I mean, I mean, starting right center back. So I think we should just all acknowledge it's it's a little bit unknown at this point. Uh, Unno- nobody has separated in, himself. Yeah, and and to be honest though, the 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 one good thing here is, at least for me, is I'm not I wouldn't be mad if any of them were on the team sheet. I'm not I'm not mad that Aaron Long seems to have the spot sort of uh, in Greg Berhalter's mind at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the floor that Aaron Long sets is just fine. Uh, until again, until someone sort of makes it clear that they are ahead of him, uh, should we run through the nine names here we've got in the nine-way tie? Yeah. Well, before but before we do that, the the reason I think the argument for Aaron Long, I've never heard Greg Berhalter make this argument, but I but it makes sense to me, is that he is athletic and strong and fast and a just sort of like a, a cleaner upper defender. He's not a perfect defender, but he's a pretty good defender. He's, he's really not good with the ball at his feet, but you, that complements, you know, that that set of skills or like lack of ability sort of complements Brooks well because Brooks is not as mobile as he could be, and he is a very good passer, really good with the ball at his feet. So you get a, you're going to need somebody like Aaron Long next to John Brooks if you're starting John Brooks at left center back. All right, I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read. I'm gonna rattle off the nine names quick, Bells, and then I want you to tell me who else is of the Aaron Long mold. All right. Okay. All right. So we got Aaron Long, we got Miles Robinson, Matt Miazga, Tim Ream, who I think we probably all agree is more the backup left back uh, than a candidate to play alongside John Brooks. Right. That, that feels like a nightmare. All right. <laughs> uh, Chris Richards, which maybe makes some eyebrows raise. Uh, Eric Palmer Brown. Mark McKenzie, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Walker Zimmerman. 
of those nine guys, who else fits the Aaron Long nice compliment to John Brooks description? Okay, the power rankings for the Aaron Long mold go as follow. <laughs> uh, Are we even sure that Aaron Long tops those power no, rankings? No, no, we're not. <laughs> so I won't power rank them. I'll just say, yeah, Miles Robinson, Chris Richards, uh, Cameron Carter Vickers and Walker Zimmerman are the ones most clearly in that mold for me. Uh, McKenzie is not as good of a, a, not as natural of a defender as those guys. I don't think, even though he's probably better on the ball than most of them. Um, uh, Eric Palmer Brown, I think he's may, maybe the closest shout among those I I mentioned that you left out. That you I mean? left out, yeah. Yep. Matt Miazga is not as not fast enough to be in that mold. Uh, Tim Reeve, obviously not fast enough. And, uh, I mean, Cameron Carter-Vickers is just an absolute bull of a bull in a china shop. But, um, yeah. As long as you can, as long as you just ask him to play the, the easy passes. Yeah. Like, he can accomplish that. He's not, he's not, he doesn't have to hoof the ball upfield. I mean, he can pass as well as Aaron Long, right? I mean, Aaron, it's a I, super I low bar for, like, passing out of the back that Aaron Long sets. I think Zimmerman Zimmerman is very similar to to Long in in that way. He's they're both pretty good on set pieces, like as a threat. But Zimmerman takes kind of like risks that he shouldn't take, yes, right? And, and Long he, doesn't take those risks. Zimmerman watches what Brooks do, does and is like, "I got this." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it's all of a sudden it's three zero Mexico. <laughs> okay, no, I I think I pretty much agree with that. So we're waiting to see if any of the kids can can match the athleticism, uh, provide the athleticism, but then, you know, like out, outperform in the passing category to see if we can get that upgrade. I think McKenzie, just as a side note, I think McKenzie is probably the third left center back in my depth chart because that's what he plays for Philadelphia. And he is, he can yeah. hit a really good pass with his left foot. So even though he's right footed, he's ambifooterous. I'll, I'll, uh, I don't even know if I dissent, but Eric Palmer Brown also gets a lot of left center back minutes okay. uh, in Austria, and he also does a lot of like the passing, the passing, uh, okay. forward passing. I mean, you basically have to say he does forward passing. So, right. uh, so I think he he'll, he'll find his way into that discussion maybe after an Olympic camp or two. Um, yeah, it's just it's just tough, man, and to to really differentiate. So here's my question: Then the guy that doesn't get mentioned a lot from our conversation just now. Uh, but a lot of people would maybe call, would even want to be the starting right center back, is Matt Miazga. Does Miazga have a way in then if you have to have, is he fast enough to be the the John Brooks compliment? Or is it too, does he leave us too vulnerable? I think it's suboptimal, but not a disaster. Okay. To have his speed next to, to Brooks's. All right, I mean, well, there we go. Yeah. I, I don't. There's not. I don't have much to add. We talk about. I feel like we've talked about the center back conundrum enough that we we should just lampshade it and uh, throw in the nine way tie. Uh, well, it probably means it probably means a couple guys get rated a little bit lower than they might have if it had been a straight vote accumulation, but uh, not not terribly not terribly low. Another name that people bring up is Ike Opara, who sure. um, uh, I saw some folks really liking that tweet about that Jason Davis wrote about him being the a healthy Ike Opara being the, the ideal partner for Brooks. I don't know. It seems like the ship has sailed. I don't It doesn't, doesn't seem like a real possibility. I think one other thing I want to address with center backs is this, this idea that we should play three at the back. 
Oh, sure. Uh, that comes up a lot on the internet that we have so many center backs, we should play three at the back one. I'm like, no, we have so many center backs because we have no clear, very good center back to partner with John Brooks. We don't, it's not that we have so many good ones. Why would we play three center backs just so we can take like one of Gio Reyna or Timmy way off the, off the field or, or Sebastian Legette or Josh Sargent. It does. It doesn't. Yeah, three at the I back the doesn't o- make sense, man. The only way that that keeps legs, that that line of thinking would keep its legs, is uh, if you think that you're taking Jackson Ewell off, uh, and and playing a three that way. So you're replacing Jackson Ewell with, and then you got to find another like distribute. So you'd be trying to replace his distribution with another distributing center back. Yeah, for me, and I, don't I don't love it. I and I don't think we have anybody like that. I mean, McKenzie's the closest thing, and he's you know he's still very young and he's still. Uh, if you watch his games, he still makes he takes some risks he shouldn't take, makes some passes that go to the wrong team in the wrong yeah. area of the field. Right. If you're just making that change solely to try, I mean, try to keep distribution in distribution in, I think you, I think you in that situation, I'd go the Burhalter route and like keep the luxury spot for more of a like real distributor. Right. Not someone who's good at distributing for a center back. Right. All right, there's our nine-way tie. We're up to number 27, Bells. Take it, your favorite. Timmy Chandler. Timmy Chandler, 30-year-old right back slash right wing for Eintracht Frankfurt. I'm just putting him here so I don't get yelled at. That's it. That's the only reason. I'm still curious. I'm still curious to see what he can do. Uh, Yeah, I think it'll feel less and less like we even really need to have him get a run out. Uh, But that'll that'll kind of depend on what other right-back options do if, if... for some reason, Reggie Cannon isn't breaking through at Boa Vista, mm-hmm. uh, and Yedlin finds himself without a squad, and Timmy Chandler still getting minutes as uh, a wide player in in uh, Frankfurt. Then I think you'd really have to look in the mirror, Bells. Take a hard look in the mirror and say, "Is it time? Is it time for you to come around?" Okay, I promise to look in the mirror if that happens. Number 28, uh, Nico Gioacchini. I think this is mostly because of my vote. Uh, there, there's, there's, <laughs> you really like this guy. There's quite a delta between Greg and I on a few of these. Uh, Pax and Pomacall was another one, and Greg rated him a lot more highly than I did, for what it's worth. Uh, Gioacchini scored over the weekend in Liga 2, Liga 2. I just, I just want to point out, that means that I had Pomacall as a better player in the top 40. The right. higher and lower gets confusing here. Yeah, I had him. Yeah, I had him like in the like around thirty or something, and you had him like what around twelve. Yeah, I like him. Um, Joe Keeney was the opposite. I rated him closer to the top, and you rated him, rated him closer to the bottom. He's to me, he's similar to Zardis, Jazzy Zardis, in his movement, and that is a compliment. I think Jazzy Zardis moves very, very well for a striker, and uh, he's probably a little more assured in the holdup and as a result the build up just want to keep an eye on him he's only 20 plays for Cannes in France's second division and he's had, he's had, he's had a really good couple of years here and hopefully he can take the next step right i i don't i don't uh, have anything against him i i basically grouped him with a bunch of other young uh somewhat promising uh Josie Altador replacements yep 29 who you got it's it's the everyone's favorite wild card Jackson Ewell, uh, who is I guess I guess it's a nice compromise because he'll end up being like eleventh if he if he is able to perform 
in the way that it seems like Greg Berhalter is wanting him to perform because he'll be our starting player. Yeah. Uh, and if he can't do that, then he basically drops out of the pool altogether. Yeah, he fits a very specific mold as that we all know about, but hasn't had a great season. And, of course, the problem with starting him is you have to – that would keep one of – Raina, Morris, Morris, Lejet, off the field. Tomacall if it, if he gets healthy, right? So, so that's what I mean. Ewell, the bar that Ewell's going to have to clear with his with his passing is, I think, going to have to be really high. Or again, he's not a clear backup to anyone. The, the other thing I'll say for him is he could he could be a roster guy because uh, you don't always want. We we probably talked about this. You don't always want to bring like for like replacements um, for for tournaments. Like, you want a guy who's like, okay, well, in this situation, we want to do this. You don't just want to bring someone who's slightly worse at the things you already have. Uh, <laughs> you want to be able to, you know, it's not always injury replacements. It's scenarios, too. So yeah. if we're up against this kind of team that plays this style, we need this kind of player, not not just a slightly worse version of Tyler Adams. Right. Okay. I never thought of it that way, but makes sense. I don't think we have talked about that, Greg. You just right. you just broke some news here. <laughs> Number thirty is Julian Araujo, the nineteen year old right back at the LA Galaxy. I'd say he's steadily improving. He's finally getting minutes at right back for the Galaxy with uh, Efra Alvarez at right wing. Very physical and conscientious defender. Uh, I think like it's it's kind of fun to watch him defend because he seems to really relish it. Yeah, he's chippy, isn't he? he oh, he's, he's gonna so like. Chippy. Yeah, he's he's looking for that contact. Yeah, he gets which, he got into it with Shea Salinas last night. So as long as he as long as he can rein in any afters, uh, and rein himself in once he's sort of on a yellow card, and I don't know if we've seen any evidence that he can't. Uh, maybe we have. <laughs> maybe yeah. there's some games where he should have been. Then then it, it makes you more comfortable going into those uh, Concacaf away games where people are trying to bait you and yeah, uh, you know it's really intense. So. Uh, I think I think I have him really high. I, this might be one where I have him higher, but it's uh, no, we were probably close. I like this one because uh, with Cannon gone now and potentially in October camp, we'll, we'll have to see if that happens. That's that's allegedly going to be MLS guys, and then the January camp that's going to be MLS guys. Uh, Araujo becomes sort of like at or near the top of that call up list mm-hmm. for me. I would say, yeah, the the caution on him is he's he's not super technical, like especially like so he can he has done some good stuff in the attack. I think he has two or three assists over the last month, but he's not you know how Dest can like receive the ball right. in stride, and he's not. We can't we can't compare guys to Dest. You have to compare. I mean, like quite honestly, you have to compare him to Cannon or Yedlin. I think we're going to talk Cannon. About Cannon is even more technical than okay. Araujo. I don't know if Yedlin is. Okay, it's close. That's it. Uh, I like that Araujo, and I think Cannon's really similar here, wants to do the combination stuff, which yeah. I think can go a long way with, with what we're trying to do, how we're trying to play. Like, he's looking for it. He's looking for those, uh, you know, movements in, in harmony with Efra or with Legette when they all end up on that right side. Uh, and so that's that's promising. That's good to see. Yeah. He doesn't just want to stay out there, collect the ball with time, and whip a ball into the box. Right. He's And he's a likable. He's a likable player. He... Uh... Top, top mentality, as they say. <laughs> 31, Jazzy Zardes. Jazzy Zardes, another big delta between us. I think I rated him uh, more. I, I, I gave him a better rating than you did. I probably, I probably underrated him here. And, well, 
I'll, I'll defend it this way is uh, I don't even know if he was in my top four. I had him at like 45. Uh, and it still goes back to with how we're trying to play, like I just don't think he fits. Uh, and so the only way he stays on is if it's that sort of Ewell situation where it's like, okay, but we need a guy in case we have to play this way. And Zardes is a, the only guy who can do that. Uh, and I just don't think Zardes is the only guy who can play in like the non-possession way. So if we're, if we're going to abandon possession, I don't think Zardes is the only guy who can do that. Certainly not in a way that would justify using an entire roster spot on that kind of play. Uh, and, and so, so then it just comes down to if he's if he's basically like an actual zero in the possession game, then then he doesn't have a spot. It's it's like uh, Anthony Robinson when we were running in 2019 with a stay at home left back. You don't call up Anthony Robinson and start him in a game if you're going to play a stay at home left back. That's how baffling it was to me to have Giazzi Zardes constantly called up, constantly starting in a system that requires intricate forward possession play. Yeah, I feel like it was that extreme. Of a of a misfit, yeah, yeah. I think so. Who who else do you bring on if you're gonna abandon possession and just like try to try to score on the counter attack besides Zardes? I mean, uh, Waya Waya could do it. Uh, Jordan Morris, like at that point, that is Jordan Morris. You know, we yeah. could run Waya there. You could run. Uh, I don't I don't know that Josh Sargent has to be part of a. I don't know that he could do that as well as Zardes. But again, we're talking about a full roster spot in a tournament. Uh, I don't know if you bring up if you have that spot for uh, a chaser. Okay. Thirty-two, another twenty-nine-year-old forward, <laughs> Christian Ramirez. Greg, you you're responsible for this one largely. So I think I lumped Ramirez in with a bunch of forwards who I do think can like play uh, possession. Like Ramirez wants to make that pass. We had a, a highlight a couple maybe a week ago. I don't know. ML the games are happening so fast; it's impossible to keep track of when they've happened, but yeah. uh, he's the guy who you can like fireball into his feet and on his first touch with a defender on his back, like slip a weighted pass in behind for a mid for a winger running past him. Uh, he and lo- he loves to do that. Yeah. And, and like he can get into the box and make those runs that we don't always feel like we get from Jesus Ferreira or, or even, I mean, to an extent, Josh Sargent, we feel like isn't ruthless enough in the box. Like Ramirez is that guy. He does like, know where to arrive in the box and when. So uh, that's one of those things where I feel like as an all-around player for what we're trying to run, even as sort of a mediocre overall type forward in the global sense, uh, like Ramirez is mediocre with his strengths in ways that fit better mm-hmm. than Zardes, who's mediocre, who's who's got some like elite MLS strengths, but they're not the right fits for what we're trying to do. That's okay. my Ramirez bit. I like, I like Ramirez. Uh, number 33 is Daryl DK, a new entrant to the list. I think this is the first one who's make his debut on the top 40. I scratch that. I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> DK's huge. He's like six, three, two twenty or something like that. Um, big frame, good in the holdup gives the ball firm corporal punishment whenever he gets a chance. And, um, I think we just got to add him to a confusing striker pool. He's played he's played that well for Orlando. Yeah, he's played really well. And this he's kind of who I'd lump in with uh, Giacchini and a couple other guys where it's like he, he, he makes you perk up a little bit and, and figure out if, if again, we do have this Altidore replacement, if someone's going to come along and actually be at that high of a level. And with DK, the, the sample size is way too small to say that. But 
the sample isn't too small to get a run out in a all MLS international camp. Right. And the, those camps already have massive asterisks by them. So uh, let's not let's not like stand on uh, circumstance and say we got to only you know pick guys who've proven it for years. Like let's let's take a look. Yep. See what we got. Thirty-four, James Sands, twenty-year-old uh, defensive midfielder slash center back. I just think he's a very, very effective defensive midfielder. Uh, probably second only to Adams at that specific role in the pool. He is uh, he is not much of a passer, not much of a forward passer. I guess you should say less so than Adams even. Uh, but you know. It, the the argument against him is like he totally doesn't fit Berhalter's system, but we don't know how wedded Berhalter is to that system. Right. Hopefully not that wedded, because as we discussed earlier, it's it's a system that sort of is predicated on the presence of Jackson Ewell in the starting eleven. Well, I hope he's wedded to it as much as long as it's doing really well. Like I hope I hope if it's worth looking good, we're like yes, this is working. Let's. Let's have this at least as as one of our options. Uh, but if it's yeah, if it's struggling, I think he'll I think he'll be quick to pull the plug on at least that particular part of his system. So Sands doesn't fit now, but but yeah, if the plug is pulled to any extent, he could be a, a very useful national team player. Thirty five, Johnny Cardoso. Now he does fit the mold, right? Southern Hemisphere, yes, he is. He is more or less exactly the mold. 18-year-old midfielder at Internacional, big, big club in Brazil that doesn't play a lot of 18-year-olds typically, right? Right, and we'll have to, again, we'll have to see how much 18-year-old minutes he gets. Uh, I think his minutes so far in the in the league have been a bit COVID-influenced, uh, but there are minutes nonetheless. It's nice to actually have some videotape of him playing the center mid-roll. He can hit the diagonal pass, right? Sort of. Yeah, but he he still doesn't. So we might even be jumping the gun here, saying that he fits this role because uh, he doesn't do it very often. He's still mostly knocking it from not basically knocking it to his center back. So he drops in deep with them in possession, and then he hits it to a center back. That's that's still the lion's share of what he's doing. Yeah, it's not so a lot. Be, it's not a lot of fun to put those comps together. I bet no. for Wacky. So he's got. I think he's got a lot of buzz, but I think people need to at least like appreciate that he's not doing a lot of exciting passing like he's he's not Javi Alonso back there uh knocking these 70 yard diagonals yeah okay number 36 and before we say go to number 36 I just want to say like we the unproven youngster is sort of becoming a dying breed in the top 40 there aren't as many of those uh there are a few I will admit but, As Ulianes cracks the top 20 or something. Right. Uli's right. a big exception. There are a couple others that we're going to get to here momentarily. But, um, yeah, I think that's a good sign. Maybe it's, maybe it's just a sign that I'm becoming more realistic about things. But it's also just a sign that there are, there are more players proving themselves at the professional level, even than there were 12 months ago. And uh, that's, that's partly why there are going to be fewer of these youngsters showing up in the top 40. Well, one of the big ones is went just went from an unproven youngster to a proven youngster in short order in, in the Gio Reyna top top six mode. Has he scored yet today? I don't know. Should we check? Should we do yeah. a live update for people who are there's no audience that, that would serve. 
after thinking about it for two seconds. Yeah. So there's fewer, just fewer of those. Yeah. Reyna went from unproven to proven. I think a lot of people still think of Weya as unproven. And I guess you could make that argument, but. Weya and Richards, I think, would be the other guys. Yeah. But Richards, again, he, he just, he's, he's playing professionals. He's playing at a, I know it's the three Liga, but uh, he has professional minutes. So a lot of guys still unproven for the international level, as we say. Uh, and as we will be saying through this entire cycle up until we've got eight hex games under our belts. I forgot to mention about Richards uh, that like, so people will say you're crazy. Somebody like final third, Ty will say you're crazy for even like putting him in this conversation. Snavely was on that, on that uh, angle too. Oh yeah. And and I think it's, I think it's a reasonable thing to say. It is, but like, do we really think he's not as good as Aaron Long? Like, how do we know? How do you know that? I, I think Snavely made the really good point that uh, we basically know who Aaron Long is. So we don't know that Chris Long isn't better than Aaron Long. And Snavely didn't say. He just said we know who Aaron Long is. No one has any idea who, who Chris Richards will be in a U.S. World Cup qualifier tomorrow. Uh, and I think that's very fair. We don't necessarily know that Richards isn't better than Aaron Long, but we know what Long's floor is. And Richards' floor in a game like that could be below Aaron Long's. Are you saying that no, there's just simply no way that Chris Richards would would you know have a like have a like howler have a shocker? Yeah, just yeah. have a shocker. Uh I think it's I think we have enough tape on Richards to know that he's not gonna have like a big shocker. I mean any more so than what we saw Omar Gonzalez, Jeff Cameron, or Tim Ream have <laughs> through the last cycle. You know what I mean? Right. Like we had yeah. we had shockers even with those even with those vets, so I, yeah. We can argue about the level of the three legal three liga. Like, where does it fit in the whole? I won't have that argument. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying that argument can be had. But like, we've seen him play. We've seen him play uh, a little bit for Bayern, a little tiny bit. I think he's. I don't think we're gonna get some big horrible surprise if he played for the national team. I don't think that's, that. That's mostly where I'm at, which is why I had no problem throwing him in in the nine way tie with with guys with. You know, I think CCV at this point is like seven thousand championship minutes. Right. Well, okay. What did you find anything out about Reina? Uh, Dortmund are cruising, but I, from what I can tell, Reina doesn't have any assists, so he's probably going to be benched. <laughs> All right, number thirty-six. We got five more to do here. Number thirty-six is Efrain Alvarez, the eighteen-year-old center midfielder slash right wing for the galaxy now obviously there's a big asterisk here he plays for the mexican youth setup but he's an he he's a native of los angeles he's an american young man and uh he could still play for the u.s if if we made a play for him which i think we should do uh he's he's still young still can't defend very well but boy oh boy when he gets the ball at his feet in the final third like stuff happens good stuff happens he can he can score he can hit like assist a lotsos i mean he plays these passes like he played a pass last night that was just like disgusting and and he also is is really good at hitting that uh that sort of a killer pass that sets up the killer pass yeah where he he draws people in and then slips people in and i think he he put felcher in position to get an assist a couple of games back where he draws people to him enough but keeps his angle exactly where he wants it to to play that guy in on the run uh, into that Man City assist zone. Um, and I just, I think it's, again, people will say we're rushing here. He's only got so however many starts now. But I think this season he might have more starts than Jonathan Lewis. 
So it's, you know, again, we're just the, we're in this speculative area. We're in this speculative uh, transition period where there's just nothing wrong with throwing, throwing a call up to an Efra Alvarez with, with again, all these camps that ha- already have asterisks built in, like, let's bring him in. He's, he's one of the few left footed guys we could throw on that right wing and play that inverted role until, until Kenny Seth becomes available and we have a <laughs> November European camp. That's the really, thing. Really fussy that you, your vote kept Kenny Seth out of the top 40, by the way. You're pretty, su- you're pretty fussy about that. <laughs> I was going to make sure that I spoke about him one way or the other. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing is, is Alvarez is such a perfect fit for a tucked in right winger. Cause he has this, this amazing left foot. And I don't know that we have anybody even in the pipeline close to him. Uh, the other still, thing, so I got, still has I got a long ways questions. to go as a player. Yeah, of course. Of course. I got two questions. But again, so do a lot of the guys who we would call in in his place for a for an MLS on the camp. If we're talking about Jonathan Lewis, if we're talking about, I don't know, Chris Muller. I mean, uh, my questions here are, um, would Efra Alvarez have to file a one-time switch then to play in a friendly for the U.S.? I don't know for sure. I thought if you played in the U20, in a competitive U20 fixture, then you would have to file a one-time switch. I'm not sure if the same is true of a U17 fixture. And so he hasn't, right. pl- he hasn't played for the U20s in Mexico yet. Okay. So we'll, we'll, I guess we'll crowdsource that one. And then number two, uh, what was my second one, Bells? I had two. Was it, uh, is he likely to switch? Oh, no, no, no. It was going to be this because, uh, is, is he actually, like, not good at defending, or is he not able to defend? Because I feel like people, that's sort of the charge against him. Uh, I feel like there's maybe a little bit of, like, stereotyping, just, like, uh, <laughs> like thinly-veiled uh, racism in that because claim. You know, because he's a playmaking uh, Latino, Latino player? Yeah. Or like, maybe I a little of that. He just looks, he just looks a little, like, like he doesn't quite know where, where he's supposed to press, and... Okay. And, um... You know, he's I not, guess, he's not like a one, he's not, you know, how I said Julian Araujo is super conscientious and seems to relish the chance to go one be one with yes. somebody. Think about the, like the other side of the continuum and there you have Efra Alvarez. Okay. It's like, he, it's just, like he's doing it, but does he really want to be doing it? No. I, I know I've seen, I've seen sort of that criticism of him and I just didn't know if it was actually based on like people watching him play and defend or if it was just sort of one of those fallbacks where it's like, oh, we got a, a Latino playmaker, really technical, really skillful, but doesn't defend so i was just curious i will say i appreciated uh matt doyle's shout out in one of his columns last week about us using the the phrase in the cage going into the cage i think alvarez is actually pretty good in the cage like he he's he's ball secure he's strong on the ball he goes if he goes into a 50 50 like there's a good chance he's coming away with it he just has you know he has that familiarity with the ball and that that knack for keeping it so Okay, so there's a there's a long spell on Efra and sort of all that he in, embodies. Let's go to number 37, which is another one of your guys. Richie Ledesma, number 20. I mean, he's 20, 20 years old, uh, center midfielder for young PSV right now. It's harder for me to keep Richie on the list, but I, I've thought about, you know, changing my vote to, like, push him off of the top 40. But he is, <laughs> but he is playing pretty well, and he's got this sort of unique ability to break a game open – Definitely true of Efra Alvarez, truer, truer of Efra Alvarez than it is of Richie Ledesma, I think. Uh, but anyway, that's a valuable and rare ability. We'll see. You know, if he's still not breaking in at PSV by the time we do the next one of these, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough for me to stick to my Richie Ledesma guns. Okay. All right. Well, 
if he's if he's still like producing at Young PSV, which he is, he's got an assist today. Scored, I mean, he took a penalty in the last game, so whatever. But uh, had a nice little assist today. If he's still producing uh, those moments, even for Young PSV, I think it keeps him. I think it still keeps him in the discussion. Uh, Certainly just, for the Olympic roster. Yeah. Yeah, and then it'll just be, come down to, uh, you know, how 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 many other depth options do we have? Because we'll get to an, another one of those sort of center mid types here in a second. But first. Number 38, Jeremy Abobase. 23-year-old forward for the Portland Timbers. Not a ton to say about him, but he's a, just a goal scorer who works his butt off without the ball. Five goals, two assists in MLS this season. I, I still think he's he's really clean technically. So again, more of the uh, connecting type of forward uh, than than sort of the sort of the, the opposite of what we're, we're getting from Zardes. So yeah. Uh, so again, if he's if he can do those things, which I think he's very tidy at. And he is really good in the box, which all those headed goals, I think, suggest that he is uh, getting into good places and, and, you know, creating little spaces for himself to to get to a ball. Then that sets him up uh, along with some of those other interesting forwards as a good Josie replacement. Yep. All right. Let's get to that center mid who's who's going to be a sort of in direct competition with Ledesma types for center mid depth. Thirty nine. Number thirty nine is Brendan Aronson, 19 years old center mid. I think he's perhaps a little overrated by the fan base, but he is widely considered one of the top young players in MLS and is a constant transfer target, rumor target. Uh, He scored a nice goal last week, thrashed one. I don't think he has, I don't think he has the, um, I don't think he has the flair that Ledesma has. I mean, he does actually have flair. I don't think he has the incisiveness that Ledesma has, but he is playing at a higher level, no doubt. And uh, Philadelphia is a pretty good team. So number 39, Brendan Aronson. Yeah, and, and this is another good one where because of some of the other guys who have emerged, like Gio Reyna, uh, we're now in a position where we just need Aronson and Desma to just battle it out through like Olympic qualifying camps and, and just sort of see who emerges where we don't ha- you don't have to invest in one or the other. Uh, you can just be like, oh, this is good. We'll get, a, we'll get a look. Whereas before we were doing this and we had – uh, some clear holes in our senior team eleven. It was like sh- we need these guys now. Pick one now. We have game tomorrow. You have to have right. one of these guys uh, show up. And now I feel like we we bought ourselves a little time, which is what a healthy national team program has uh, to let the sort of youth uh, options really kind of emerge on their own, uh, sort of more naturally. Right. Last one, right. and we gotta get, we gotta run. All right, my guy Shaq Moore. Yeah, uh, not a lot, not a lot to add. He's he's our starter for uh, the start of the Segunda. Um, I'm still just I'm still just enjoying that he uh, that he's in my mind should be back in the picture. Yeah, and I think you made a good point last week. Like, do we really know that he's that much worse than Reggie Cannon? We don't. Uh, he's had he's had good games for the national team. Like every yeah. time he's played for the national team, he's been fine. So he's got a he's got sort of a body of work at at the U.S. men's national team friendly level. To suggest that he can he can hold his own. All right. Okay. Gallegos didn't make it this time. Yeah, Gallegos is not. Um, he's not doing enough in USL for me okay. to keep him on the list. He made he made it. He snuck in at the bottom of it last time. Jesus Ferreira. I think we we artificially put him in last time just because it was exciting. Jesus Ferreira. Yeah, I just don't. I don't see it. Okay, because that one's you. I've got him pretty high. I feel yeah. like he's right there with all the other guys who could compete for. Uh, that 
sort of number nine or false nine role for us. And then got some minutes today for me, Bobby Wood. Yeah. Yeah. Not, you're not gonna you're not gonna budge on Bobby Wood yet. I'll have to I'll have to watch the clips from that game. His day, his day will come. Okay. I mean who others others who we who didn't get in here were Eric Williamson's been playing well for Portland in the midfield. Gianluca Busio's made that this transition to the number six. Uh and so someone wow. someone will say, Hey, why why are you putting Richie Ledesma in but not these guys who are like making an impact in first team soccer? Say well, it's my, it's my podcast. So <laughs> vines and Gasper, and 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 to a lesser extent at this point, Gloucester has sort yeah. of that left back, yep. uh, next in line to be next in line. Ricardo Pepe. Uh, oh yeah, you had him. You had him rated like a hundred ninetieth or something. No, I just so. I just threw a number on him because our list is so long that I needed to just throw numbers next to guys who were actually being considered. Yeah, I just don't. I think Pepe Pepe has a shout, but he, I would like to see some consistent sort of output from him so yeah i'm sure there are names we have missed you know address any questions and concerns to at final third minus the i on twitter or uh matt doyle if you have any complaints take them to those guys they're ready to service you and um anything else greg no well done another top 40 in the books okay thanks everybody for listening we'll see ya